Hey there, it's Kevin Butler and welcome to the second episode of Lights, Cameras, Teach. I believe that just like an action-packed movie, a successful classroom needs a good director. Each episode of this podcast will share ideas about why I think it's essential to keep kids engaged in active learning and how to make the classroom a place where kids want to be. Throughout future podcast episodes, I'll be talking about what I'm doing in my classroom to create those show-stopping learning experiences that students will remember. I'll be throwing in some tales of my 17-year career as a teacher, and we'll be talking about my five teaching non-negotiables. What I'm looking forward to most is hosting fellow educator friends, having former students on to talk about what they remember most about being in my class, former parents, and on occasion I may have some Hollywood friends drop in and talk about what they remember most about school. So after my first episode, I got several messages on Twitter asking me about how I first landed that job in California. While I had no plans to ever permanently leave New York, I had been encouraged by several people to start spreading my wings. While I wasn't actively applying for any jobs, my resume had been posted on some teaching websites. I also spent my summers in LA and had networked with people who were trying to persuade me to move to the West Coast. I don't really remember how I was introduced to the startup school, but it happened rather quickly. After several phone interviews, I was flown out to LA in early of April of 2014 to visit the school in person and to teach a demo lesson. Phone conversations continued into the beginning of May. I was offered the position sometime in the middle of May, which then began the process of paperwork, but the actual contract wasn't signed until the end of May. California accepted my New York State teaching license, so it was just a matter of filling out some paperwork and paying some fees in order to obtain a preliminary California teaching credential. So after reflecting upon that first episode, I realized how fortunate I've been. Throughout the 17 years of my teaching career, I've had some great role models and mentors. Positive role models and having administrators who not just support you, but stand up for you and help you grow are vital to our career. I would never have made it this far without them. Supportive colleagues are essential too. I've learned how crucial it is to surround yourself with role models, mentors, and people who really you just enjoy being around. The teaching career, believe it or not, could be a lonely place. And in my opinion, there's no time for mediocrity, negativity, or jealousy. Take the time to find your tribe and inspire each other. Ignore the naysayers. My questions for you. One, who are your role models? Two, have you had a mentor who supported you in your educational journey? And three, do you have a teacher tribe? If so, how do you inspire each other? In this episode, I'm going to talk about my first teaching non-negotiable called active learning. The term active learning comes from Egner Dale's research, which states that humans remember 90% of what they do. I'll post a graphic of his cone of experience on Twitter. If you follow me on social media, you probably have seen my room simulations. My simulations take a lesson and make it a learning experience with the ultimate goal of being able to create an environment of active learning. 
For example, at the end of my geography unit, I take my class on a cruise around the world. For weeks before the simulation, I tell students that we'll be going on a cruise together. Students are told knowing how to use map skills, especially latitude and longitude, will be vital to their success. I reinforce the idea that I do not want to have to call home and tell any parents that their child had been lost at sea. The day before the simulation, I assign a short review sheet that, when, it, when completed, becomes their boarding ticket. The next morning, my students come to class and see me fully dressed up as a ship captain. I collect each student's ticket and board them on our cruise ship. To their surprise, the entire classroom has been transformed into a cruise ship. Seagulls are hanging from the ceiling, ocean sounds are playing in the background, and giant backdrops of the sky's horizon are hanging against the walls. Students are handed sunglasses and Hawaiian lays to wear. Throughout this simulation, students use latitude and longitude coordinates to plot the locations of where our cruise ship visits. They work collaboratively with a partner and keep track of their travels in a travel journal that I provide them with. When the students successfully make it to the last stop, they log on to Newsella and read an article about Gladys West and her contribution to the creation of GPS. During our unit on nonfiction, students go on a text feature safari. The Reading King simulation is one of my favorites. During this lesson, my students go on a safari to find the different nonfiction text features we've learned about during reading. Each student is supplied with a travel magazine on Africa, a safari survival pack, which includes a bag of dried fruit, a small bottle of water, and a mechanical pencil. Students wear safari hats and use binoculars to find text features throughout the magazine. As students find text features, they annotate their safari guide. In addition to animal sounds playing in the background, I place giant three-dimensional safari animals around the classroom, and backdrops of the African savanna hang on the walls. Something I didn't know a lot about but knew my kids enjoyed playing was Minecraft. We were just finishing up learning about the parts of speech during grammar when I decided to make a simulation based on the game. In my version called GrammarCraft, students build sentences using the different parts of speech. Throughout the entire grammar unit, students have come accustomed to color coding each part of speech we were using when writing sentences. I took this same color coding system and printed out tons of colored labels. Students use the labels to build sentences. With the help of Flowcabulary, students learned the parts of speech wrap and became well-versed with not just identifying the parts of speech, but actually using them to write sentences. I do these simulations roughly once or twice a month, and they are usually used to review the content that I already traditionally taught in class. I also use the simulations to make less exciting content come alive. During simulations, students are fully engaged, and I'm there usually in a costume just to act as a facilitator. Most recently, as I was teaching students about artifacts and archaeology, I transformed my classroom into Indiana Jones and the Lost City. Students come to class and simulate the experience of being a real archaeologist. 
While archaeologists don't raid tombs, snatch ancient idols, dig for bones, or fall into booby-trapped chambers, Indiana Jones, which by the way is my absolute favorite Disneyland ride, was the perfect backdrop for this lesson. I fill an extra-large plastic container with sand and carefully bury artifacts, which consist of a mixture of miniature items that I buy at places like Michael's and Hobby Lobby, and laminated pictures that I print out off of the internet. Students rotate around the classroom completing various tasks. One of the tasks is students read about archaeology using an issue of Kids Discover magazine. In addition to reading, students practice answering comprehension questions and defining vocabulary words. When students join me at the excavation site, they put on their hard hats, which are the same ones that I use during the Reading King Safari, and gather their digging tools to carefully begin to dig for an artifact. As students uncover their artifact, they return to their desks and write in their archaeology journal. First, they have to describe the artifact that they found, focusing on what natural resource it might have been made from. Second, they infer what the object may have been used for. After everyone finds an artifact, we compile a list of all the artifacts that were uncovered. Through guided writing, we write a summary describing what life might have been like in this lost city. For example, students will infer that since we found a necklace made out of shells, the city must have been located near a large body of water. A gold coin may have been used for trading, and a bow and arrow could have been used for hunting animals. Head to my Instagram profile to see photos of this lesson, and use the link in my Instagram profile to download a copy of this lesson. Next week, I'll talk about other simulations my students participate in, including my Rodeo Roundup, Back to the Future, and Text Structure Madness. I will also share where I get my materials, where I store them all, and tips on getting props, and my go-to resources. I am so excited to have one of my former students on this episode. Ryan was in my very first class, and to remind you, I was 22 years old back in 2003. As teachers, we remember our first class with extra fond memories. I remember going shopping for classroom decorations, books, and even class pets. My parents helped me set up my classroom, build furniture, and organize my classroom library. And I can still feel that excitement I had on that very first day of school. I had 21 fourth graders who I was solely responsible for. All of these years later, Ryan is still one of my best students of all time. I believe he was probably smarter than I was when I was his fourth grade teacher. He always demonstrated his best behavior and love for learning. And I'm honored that 17 years later, we still keep in touch and that he's taking the time to be my second guest on Lights, Cameras, Teach. Ryan, welcome to Lights, Camera, Teach. I'm honored you accepted my offer to come on my podcast. Um, it's been a while since you were in my class. Uh, so could you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what you've been up to since the early 2000s? <laughs> yeah, it has been a while. Uh, 2004. Um, so I went on to graduate from uh, Eastport South Manor High School. Right. Uh, I, I went to school for civil engineering at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, or That's RPI, a good school. For, or RPI for short. Thank you, up in uh, in upstate New York, in Troy, New York. 
um, studied civil engineering there, uh, graduated and, and moved to the city, uh, New York City. Um, and currently, I am a civil engineer for Delta Airlines, rebuilding uh, LaGuardia Airport in Queens, New York. Oh, um, that, that's a challenge, that airport. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a, an interesting project, but it's, it's kind of well, really like a dream job for me, to be honest. I uh, it really is a, a good challenge, something that makes me excited to go to work every day. Um, and it's the first new airport construction in the United States in 25 years, which is pretty interesting. It'll be the first time that they're going to rebuild an airport in America since the Denver airport in 1994. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So definitely, uh, definitely something that I love to do every day. Nice. And you're recently engaged, correct? I am recently engaged and recently engaged to a high school sweetheart. Uh, although she yeah. did not go to Eastport Elementary School, uh, she was a, uh, a graduate of Eastport South Manor High School. Nice. Did you know that her cousin, Nicole, and I went to high school together? Really? No, I didn't know that. Yes. That's, um, that's interesting. I'll see them on Christmas. So I'll tell her. Yeah, tell her I don't know so. how I know that, but I think <laughs> Nicole must have seen like a photo probably when I was in New York last. I took a picture with you and Will. She must have seen the photo and that's how all the pieces were put together. Oh, wow. No way. That's crazy. Yeah, no, I'll see. I'll definitely see her on Christmas. So I'll yeah, tell you. So yeah. Um, so like I said, it's been a while since you were in fourth grade, but do you remember anything about our class? Of course. Uh, besides the wonderful teacher I had. Uh, the, my, my favorite memory from fourth grade, um, as you probably could have guessed was raising chickens for the, uh, for our science fair project. Um, not only because that was the coolest thing I had ever done in school (laughs) up to that point and probably ever in school, but it really gave me like a a practical knowledge of the the scientific method, which I would go on to use throughout the rest of my education and into my professional, uh, my professional career, honestly, um, just like the way you, you know, analyze and look at problems, you know, am I conducting experiments every day? No, but it's, uh, you know, a trial and error. And, you know, when we have something, you know, how are we going to build this building? You know, do we need one crane? Do we need two cranes? Um, you know, what makes sense to build it from the North to the South or the East to the West? Um, you kind of do run, you know, you have your hypothesis and you kind of map it out and, and really the, the foundation that, that you instilled with me through that, that lesson and that, that science fair really continued throughout my entire life, which is, I thought something that was pretty interesting. Yeah, you're actually taking me back because I forgot we did it for this sign, but my very, that's how I got away with doing it that very first year was <laughs> we did it for the science fair. And I think if my memory is correct, you were comparing if um, if the color of the egg affected what the chicken would look like yes. when it came out, the color of the chicken. So yes. uh, that's and neat. I, I remember I you, you were, oh, keep going. No, I was going to say, I was heartbroken when my, uh, when I asked my mom to take one home and she was like, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't remember who took them home that year, but it's amazing. Every year, somebody, uh, somebody wound up taking them home. Um, I haven't raised chickens in a while. Our school, our, we have a really cool science teacher where I work now, and she does it as part of her science curriculum. So I kind of let her fly with that now. Awesome. But, uh, awesome. Yeah. Um, well, I remember you was like, you were literally the perfect student. Um, <laughs> oh, nice. you, you kept me on my toes, um, and you were probably smarter than I was when I was a teacher. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know about that. Um, how about any other favorite memories um, from school outside of fourth grade? Um, I really loved, um, 
school in general. I mean, I, my parents are both teachers and I think that that helps. Um, I was involved with athletics uh, when I was in school too. Um, but in terms of uh, academics, um, you know, being an engineer, I naturally leaned more towards my, my math and science classes. And I just, I, I really loved my uh, earth science class in high school. Uh, had a great teacher, a lot of great um, physical hands-on uh, learning um, and same with physics as well. Uh, my AP physics teacher, Mr. Lever, um, absolutely wonderful teacher um, and just, you know, somebody that brought energy every day and, and made me excited to go to class um, and just, you know, a, a great experience, you know, makes me excited to wake up at, you know, 530 in the morning to go to high school. Um, but I would say my science classes from high school and really the, the entire science faculty. Um, well, that leads me into my next question because, well, your parents are teachers and mm -hmm. um, you are probably going to have kids sooner than later. Um, <laughs> So what do, you think, yeah, I know. Uh, what do you think makes a good teacher or what type of teacher would you want your own kids to have? What do I think makes a good teacher? Um, I would say I have many great examples in my life of good teachers. And the number one, uh, I guess the, the number one thing I think they all have in common is a passion for their, uh, for the subject that they're teaching as well as, um, a real care for their students. Um, okay. I think to, to be a good teacher, you have to really be passionate about the subject matter that you're, that you're teaching because as a teacher, you engage more in, you know, the subject matter and the, the, the students will feed off of that you know, really auto automatically. Um, and to really care about um, the students, I know that you know, I've, I've had good teachers and I've had bad teachers and, or in yeah. you know, teachers. Yeah. <laughs> um, when a teacher really takes the, the time to go out of their way and show that they care about you, not only as a, a student, but as a person, um, I think that makes the student more engaged as well. Um, one other thing I would say that makes a good teacher is the ability to be able to explain things multiple ways. So if you were trying to explain something to 10 kids, and nine of them understand it the way you explained it the first time. And then one student is like, you know what, this isn't clicking with me. I think the ability to take whatever you're teaching and kind of put a different spin on it and, and explain it in a different light so that that one student will understand it um, is, you know, definitely makes a great teacher, someone that's able to reach out to, to everyone and not just a select few. Right. Yeah. That's, that's why I love teaching. My favorite subject is American history, but I love teaching math because I think as a teacher, it's really easy to do what you just said is, you know, there, there's multiple ways of solving a problem and one strategy might work for one kid and another strategy might work for another. So you kind of actually see those light bulbs go off above mm -hmm. my, you know, the kid's head, which is kind of cool. So, mm -hmm. and in my opinion, I mean, you're, you're the professional, but I feel like that has to, you know, to make it all worth it to see, you know, a kid that was maybe struggling and then you're able to say, why don't you think about it this way? And then, you know, that aha moment has to yep, be exactly. you know, the best thing in the world. It definitely is. Um, so as we wrap this up, I like to end um, with all my guests with what I call uh, the rapid five. And they're just five questions. They, it has nothing to do with teaching that I'll ask you. And you just have to respond with the very first thing that pops in your mind. Okay. Okay. All right. So first question, uh, pizza or tacos? As a New York boy, I'm going to have to go with pizza, but tacos uh, are uh, a close number two. Uh, favorite TV show? Game of Thrones. 
Oh, uh, rock music or pop music? Rock music. Good answer. Uh, best friend? Uh, I'm going to be sappy and I'm going to say my fiance Natalie is my best friend. <laughs> nice. And uh, winter or summer? Summer, 100%. Awesome. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. Um, to course. say the least, uh, you have certainly made me proud. Uh, please tell your parents and your brother that I say hello. Oh, I will do. Well, that wraps up this episode of Lights, Cameras, Teach. But before I sign off, Kids Discover magazines are one of my favorite classroom resources. These magazines can be used in grades three and up and come in a huge assortment of nonfiction topics. If you would like to win a set of these magazines, please share this link for this podcast on Twitter, tag me, at the Kevin J. Butler, and use the hashtag LightsCameraSteach. One person will be picked at random and mailed a brand new collection of Kids Discover magazines for use in your classroom. Questions for you. Number one, what does active learning look like in your classroom? Number two, how do you facilitate student engagement? And number three, what is one show-stopping lesson you teach? Oh, and hot off the press, next week's guest is my friend, teacher superstar Nancy Chung, also known on Instagram as Fancy Nancy in Fifth. The two of us will be talking about student engagement and what active learning looks like in her classroom. If you don't follow her, please do it at Fancy Nancy in Fifth. One more thing, if you're looking for a book to cozy up with, I just finished reading Thomas Murray's book, Personal and Authentic. I highly recommend picking it up for that little extra motivation and inspiration you may need during this hectic time of year. If you have any questions that you would like answered about my podcast, please direct message me on Twitter at the Kevin J. Butler. And until next time, thanks for listening to Lights, Cameras, Teach.